welcome to this presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. And so I guess what I want us to explore together over probably the next few weeks, and I'm not yet sure how many weeks that's going to be. Um, I haven't got the whole series planned out or anything yet, but... Um, uh, but it's about God's love. And I just felt that God was just saying, like, we just need to be reminded. I need a reminder, and, and I feel like there are, there are folks here who just need this reminder about God's love and about how much God loves you and, and, uh, and the truth of that, this, this love that never gives up and this love that never ends, this love that is unconditional and undeserved but freely given. I don't know quite how long this series might be and some of you might be sick of it, um, you know, talking about love by the time it's finished, but that's okay. <laughs> um, because, in, you know, in one sense, every part of Scripture is about God's love for us, isn't it? Every verse that we read, every topic that we cover, ultimately there's this, this foundation of how much God loves us and cares about us that underpins everything that we can study in Scripture. Uh, and, and so... Um, you know, but but what I what I do know is that as we look at um, a series of scriptures together, and some of them are, you know, it's not all going to be John three sixteen and one Corinthians thirteen. Um, you know, when we talk about love, there's going to be some scriptures and some stories and some people and some characters and and maybe some things that um, we don't usually look at when we talk about God's love for us. Uh, or maybe there'll be some some scriptures. Uh, that are a little bit unfamiliar or that maybe we haven't read or studied in depth before. And, uh, and the passage that I have this morning for us to read and study is from the Minor Prophets in the Old Testament. All right, so some of you, that's kind of like part of the, the clean pages in your Bible. Now, when we talk about... <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about minor prophets, it's not minor. Uh, what we're talking about is the length of the book, not how important it is in God's Word, all right? So uh, they're, not, they're not minor in importance, they're minor in how long they are. Um, and, uh, but one, one thing that I want us to absolutely get, you know, at the end of this series, I want everyone to be able to say, you know, I'm hearing God speak to me about how much He cares for me about how much He loves me, about how much He wants that intimacy of relationship with me. And I think that as we look at Scripture together and as we read stories, that, uh, that we're going to see God's heartbeat. If we're, if we're listening and we're looking um, f- to see God in the pages of His Word, we're going to see God telling us and revealing to us how wide and how deep and how long is His love for us. All right. So the series, the series is called Crazy Love, and sometimes there's this, this, um, there's all different ways that we talk about God's love, and sometimes it's it's this kind of love that is beyond understanding. It's beyond what we would call uh, rational <laughs> in in terms of our our understanding of things. He loves when nobody else would love. He continues, he, he endures and he is faithful. We were singing about God's faithfulness and, and, and one of the, that scripture came to my mind when it talks about even when we are unfaithful, he is faithful because he cannot deny who he is. 
His nature is to be faithful. His nature is to love. And even when we don't reciprocate, even when we're undeserving, even when we betray and turn our back on Him, even when, you know, as, as, as sinners and as people, um, we, we've completely rejected and betrayed our loving Heavenly Father. And yet He continues to love. So we're going to be looking this morning at the story of Hosea. Who's ever read the story of Hosea? A few of you have, some of you have. Who's ever read Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers? No, it's a, a fictional uh, retelling of the story of Hosea set in the gold rush in the west of the United States. Great read, she's a great kind of romance fiction writer if you're into that kind of thing. Even as a bloke, I didn't think it was too bad. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, that, that, that's, that's a, so it's kind of been dramatised and, and sort of this story is tied to, and it's a great love story. And so I want to look at a, a few aspects of this story of Hosea and what it reveals to us about God's love for us. And it begins, obviously, with the title character of Hosea. And in Hosea 1 verse 1, it says, The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah were kings of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. So we kind of, we, we've placed this story in the history of Israel around about the um, 8th century BC um, and Hosea was a, a, a prophet of God. He was a guy who the Spirit of the Lord had come on him and God had used him to go and, and speak to people, speak to leaders, speak to kings, um, you know, and, and bring the things that God wanted to say to the people. Now, I don't know if you've read much, well, there's lots of kind of different prophets that we know of throughout the Bible, isn't there? We got the the big names, you know, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Um, sometimes there are guys that we know of, like Jonah, and we don't necessarily always think about Jonah when we think about prophets. But there was a whole bunch of them, you know, Amos and Obadiah, and some of the ones that some of you probably never heard of before, and that's okay. Um, but being a prophet wasn't always an easy gig. Being one of God's prophets sometimes meant um, that God called you to do difficult stuff, as Jonah discovered. He, was, he wasn't real happy about what God called him to do um, when it came to going and talking to a, uh, a really sinful, evil city. Um, but uh, there were other times that God asked prophets to do things that were just weird and strange. You only read about Ezekiel and God told him to like lie down on one side for 400 and something days you know, and it's like, that's a time when you probably didn't really want to be a prophet. <laughs> uh, and I think Ezekiel was probably also the, the lucky guy who got called to um, make a, a barley bread on a fire um, that used human excrement as fuel. Uh, and uh, Ezekiel was like, mm, yeah, I'm not so sure about this one, God. And then God said, okay, make it, you can make your fire out of cow dung instead. Um, but, but sometimes prophets got asked to do really weird things, and Hosea was no exception. Um, Hosea, uh, we read, was, was called to go and marry a, a, a woman who was promiscuous, unfaithful. The, the first few verses, we kind of, we read this picture, but, but 
just before we get into that too much more, just a little bit of background about the nation of Israel and, and what, where things were at that point in time. So, during this time, 8th century BC, when Hosea is a prophet, his ministry extended, there's a bit of kind of a lack of clarity, we're not told exactly how long he was a prophet for, but it was somewhere between around 40 to 50 years, possibly even a little bit longer. In, in Israel, in a time of great prosperity, so under the reign of Jeroboam uh, II in Israel, was a great time for the nation of Israel. The, the land borders were extended, they, they took back ground, things were going great, um, there, was, there was wealth and there was money and there was prosperity, but there was also incredible idolatry. And it, was, it wasn't like they'd completely abandoned and forgotten about God, but God had somehow just kind of become one among many. Instead of being the one and only, instead of being the one true God, he kind of became, you know, he, he was there, but there was also, you know, Baals and there was fertility gods and they would kind of do all sorts of indecent and inappropriate kind of things as part of their, their worship at the Temple of Fertility and there was golden calves and statues and idols and, and all kinds of things all over the place. And so when, when God came to Hosea and he said, go and, and marry this unfaithful woman. We're, we're not exactly, some, some translations of the Scripture, some, some Bible translators and scholars will say that she was already a, a, a prostitute when Hosea married her. Some say she wasn't but she was, you know, uh, it, it was an indication of what was going to happen in the future but regardless uh, of where you kind of fall on, on that one, God is painting a picture of a man who knowingly marries, uh, marry, knowing that she is going to betray him, knowing that she is going to be unfaithful to him, knowing that she is going to go and chase off after other men. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have had to think twice about that. <laughs> you, you know, Hosea is going, going into this and knowing that he is setting himself up for a whole world of pain for a whole world of hurt. I've, I've seen the heartbreak and the pain that comes from unfaithfulness in marriage, from affairs, from adultery, from betrayal. And the, the vast majority of, of marriages where there is unfaithfulness, where there is um, adultery and infidelity, don't survive. They break down. So Hosea, is, is Hosea he's kind of getting into this situation and God is, is warning him, foreshadowing him. And, you know, I don't, I don't know whether... Uh, this, this lady that he married was named Goma. So he goes and marries her. And, uh, and so God is using this, this picture of marriage. He's, he tells Hosea that, um, that this is going to illustrate the relationship between God and Israel. And so he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, live out this picture in your life, Hosea... And, and what happens, the, the drama that unfolds in your life is going to be an illustration, it's going to be a picture of the drama that is already unfolding between me and the nation. And in this, in this play, in this, this pageantry of um, what I'm going to call you to do, you're going to play the role of God and, and your wife, uh, this unfaithful woman named Gomer, is going to play the part of the nation of Israel. Now, I think it's really interesting 
that God chooses to use this illustration of marriage and, and we see it more than just in this story. We see again and again throughout Scripture that God talks about His covenant relationship with His people as being like marriage. And there's a whole kind of way, uh, there are a whole number of things when you look at Hebrew marriage and and maybe we'll talk about that another day, but God uses this picture of marriage um, for a number of reasons. And I encourage you to go away and read the book of Hosea. We're just going to kind of uh, essentially look at the first three chapters this morning. But you see all kinds of language that, that is kind of like this language of, of lovers, this language of a husband and wife, this, this language of, uh, of sex and of intimacy and, and this relationship um, between the two. And, and one of the things that I think God, one of the reasons that I, th- well, some of the reasons um, that I think God uses this picture of marriage, I'm going to share. The first is that it speaks of exclusivity. Husband and wife are meant to belong to one another and each other alone. There is not meant to be any part other than our relationship with God, but in terms of other men and women, it's one and one, isn't it? That's God's design for marriage. And although it's been uh, changed and perverted by different kind of people, and when, you know, even some, some of our Bible characters that we say are heroes, you know, King David and King Solomon, you go, well, that, there's no kind of one man, one woman thing going on there, is there? Um, they had many wives, uh, and often it was the case with kings, but God's design was always for one man and one woman. And, and, and this, this uh, relates to God's relationship with His people. It was always supposed to be one God and His people. It was always supposed to be exclusive. It was the first of the commandments, wasn't it? It's like, it is the first thing. And, and Jesus um, reiterated this when He says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. What's left over for anybody else? If you love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind and all your strength, not a trick question, what's left over for anybody else? Nothing. Thank you, Lynn. You get a gold star. <laughs> I know they were all thinking it, they were just too scared to say it. Yeah. <laughs> so it speaks of exclusivity. The second thing, it speaks of permanence. Now, we don't often associate permanence with marriage today in our culture and our society, do we? Um, but that is its intention. And even though there are many people who enter into marriage going, you know, uh, you know I, I promise to, to love and, you know, and all that sort of thing until it's not convenient anymore and, or until I fall out of love and until I don't love you and I will love someone else and then we'll just call it all off. But we don't ever say that in like our wedding vows, do we? You know, it's like... Um, but it's always that intention. No one goes in, as we were talking about with, with habits, you know, we kind of have, uh, we were talking about goals um, a few weeks ago and talking about how we go into marriage with this intention that it's going to last. We don't go into a marriage thinking, you know, well, if I get, you know, six good months out of it, I'm doing all right. You know, we go into it thinking this is the one. She's the one. He's the one. You know, this is going to be forever and we're going to live happily ever after and we're going to ride off on our horses into the sunset. You know, that, that, that's what marriage is intended to be. Uh, so it speaks of exclusivity and it speaks of permanence and God wants that kind of relationship with us. He talks about our relationship with Him as being one that is not just temporary but is lasting. The third thing is intimacy. Marriage speaks of intimacy. It speaks of someone that you know better than anyone else. Someone with whom you share your secrets. 
you, you know, including what you look like without clothes on. Uh, <laughs> for some of you, that's a good thing that that's not shared with the general population. But, um, <laughs> uh, but, but that's the kind of, you know, level of vulnerability, of intimacy. We, we hold nothing back. At least that's the, the intention, right? And God wants this kind of intimacy and relationship with us. And so he draws this picture of, uh, of marriage between a husband and a wife. And he says, this is the kind of level of intimacy that I want to have with you. I want to know you and I want you to know me. We want to share things, not hold secrets from each other and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And the fourth thing is passion. And passion uh, speaks of this, this strength of love. This love that you have for that person that is, you know, when you, you put that person, that, that man or that woman who is your spouse before others. You know, when, uh, you know, Scripture talks about marriage and it talks about leaving mother and father and being cleaved and joined together uh, to another person. And it, it talks about, you know, this, this ought to be the person that you prioritize and, and whose desires and, and needs and, and wants and uh, you put before those of any other, including your kids, if I can be so bold. Um, the best gift you can give your kids is a, is a strong marriage and a devotion to your spouse and to your partner above any other person in your life. So God uses this picture and he's, he's wanting to say, this is the kind of relationship, these things that you associate with a marriage relationship or what marriage ought to be or what marriage should be or what marriage can be, this is what I want to have with you. This is the relationship that God wants to have with you. So Hosea, Hosea says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, this is verse 2, it says, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Goma, daughter of Diblaim. Glad that's not my name, I can tell you. And she conceived and bore him a son. And so the, the, through the, the rest of, of chapter 1, I don't want to dwell too much, but, but there's this kind of pronouncement of judgment upon the people of Israel. And, and the, the, the children that Hosea and Goma have together uh, are named Jezreel because God talks about the destruction of Israel's military might. Jezreel was, there's connection, you can, you can read what God says there. Um, but he's talking about, you know, so he says, you know, I'm going to uh, you name your child Jezreel because of the, the connections and the associations with who that is and in the valley of Jezreel and Jehu's sin and, and that sort of thing. And uh, he says, so, you know, name your first kid, basically give them this name that says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy Israel's strength. Next child is called Lohama, which means not loved. Can you imagine naming your child not loved? <laughs> what a, you know. I, now, I have no idea whether they referred to their children as these names or, you know, you know maybe they called them by their middle name or something instead. I don't, I don't know. But he says, call your children, this, your child not loved because, you know, because of Israel's sin, I don't love them, <laughs> if you like. Uh, and, the, and the third child is born called Lo Ami, which means not my people. 
And so there's, there's this, this judgment and God's kind of going, these people have sinned and they're idolatrous and they're far from me and I'm pronouncing my judgment upon them and it's just. It is fair because it's accurate, isn't it? You know, when, when we sin and, and we betray God, then judgment is fair and it's right. But it ends with this promise of hope. In Hosea 1 verse 11, it says, Yet the time after pronouncing all this judgment and giving them these, these uh, terrible negative names, he says, Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. Then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, it will be said, you are the children of the living God. And the people of Judah and Israel will unite together. They will choose one leader for themselves and they will return from exile together. What a day that will be, the day of Jezreel, when God will again plant his people in the land. And so, although God is, is declaring this judgment for the, the people's unfaithfulness and He's saying, you know, um, you, you've broken this covenant, you've broken the relationship and it's been destroyed and we're out of relationship. And I can't say, you know, you're loved and you're my people and, and all that kind of stuff right now because of the, this separation between us. But there's a promise of hope. There's a promise of restoration. There's a promise that the curse will be reversed, that the the negative things will become positives and that God will turn it around. And as we read into chapter 2, we see this prophetic picture of Israel's adultery. It's it's very interesting that the word idolatry and adultery sound very similar. (laughs) Coincidence, maybe. Um, But we see, uh, so, so at the time... Israel were beginning to put their trust in their alliances with other nations. They would make political alliances and and strategic kind of military alliances and that was becoming their sense of security. Instead of trusting in God to protect them and to provide for them, they began to rely on the nations around them and establish these important trade routes and we kind of look at that, you know, in the natural uh, and we think, well, you know, that just makes sense to, you know, establish trade and make treaties and alliances and, and things like that. But what it really indicated was this heart of turning away from trusting in the Lord, God's people trusting. And so we see uh, this, this passion coming through in the words of, of Hosea uh, and identifying the adultery and the, the turning away from God. Let's Look at a couple of verses here in in Hosea chapter 2. He says, But now bring charges against Israel, your mother, for she is no longer my wife, and I am no longer her husband. Tell her to remove the prostitute's makeup from her face and the clothing that exposes her breasts. Verse 5, Their mother is a shameless prostitute and became pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I'll run after other lovers. And sell myself to them for food and water, for clothing of wool and linen and for olive oil and drinks. Verse 8 says, She doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has. And so through the, the mouth of Hosea, God pronounces this kind of, uh, this judgment against Israel for running and chasing after all of these other lovers. 
all of these other nations that promise to protect and promise to provide and promise to give her this and promise to give her that. What God says is what they don't realize is that it all came from me to begin with. And he goes on and he talks about how he's going he's to strip it away and he's going to take it away and he's going to block off so she can't get to those other lovers and then she's going to lose this and he's going to take away the, the grain and the oil. But then, you know, and, and you know, I, I read this kind of stuff. And I don't know if you read this kind of stuff and you go, well, you know, what is that, how does that relate to me? What does that have to do with me? Are we thinking that? No. Hopefully, um, you're not relating literally to the whole adultery kind of thing. <laughs> I don't think so. Not, not too many of us would be. You know, so, so how does this relate to... And one of the things that Hosea teaches us and, and shows us as we look at it is that, you know, often we tend to think about sin as being something that we do or something that we say that we shouldn't, don't we? We're seeing, you know, it's this. But what, but what we're kind of, we're getting here is that sin is really about kind of this, this spiritual adultery. It's really about the desires of our heart. It's really about the stuff that uh, we choose to love. And as we see, as Jesus taught, he changed this whole, uh, the, this concept of sin to being not, not just about what we do, what other people might see or our actions, but about our heart. He said it doesn't matter if you restrain yourself from killing your brother when you feel like killing him. If you've got that feeling and you're thinking those thoughts, you've already sinned. And he says it doesn't matter if you, know, you don't actually go and have that affair. If you're lusting after somebody, you, you've essentially committed that adultery already in your heart. It's, it's like, where, where is your heart? Jesus kind of brings it back and, and reminds us. And in some ways, there's this temptation to think that Jesus is introducing some kind of new concept here. But it's not really. This is, this is nothing new. It's always been about our heart. And God's Word, you know, and this is why you know, God's command was for us to, to love Him. He tried to keep it simple for us. But it was really always been about loving Him and about our heart. No matter what kind of sin or, or struggle that we're dealing with, ultimately it comes back to the, the, these kind of the things that we love, the things that we're chasing after, the things that we desire. And Hosea teaches us that ultimately what we really need, our, our greatest need, isn't just kind of a set of rules to modify our behavior because that doesn't address the heart. We can still sin in our heart. But what we need is a changed and transformed heart. How does that happen? Even though we've been unfaithful and even though we've betrayed him the bridegroom calls and the bridegroom pursues and the bridegroom chases after and the second part of Hosea chapter 2 verse 14 to 20 and I want to read this, uh, read this um, from 14 through to 20 because there's some amazing words in this picture and listen to this uh, and, and read this like I said, looking at that lens of understanding God's love for us, okay? It says, but then I will win her back once again. 
This is after he's just finished talking about how he's going to block her off from all of her other lovers and he's going to take away everything that she's got, take away all her grain and make sure, you know, the barren land and all that kind of stuff. And he says this, Then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. Do you remember when God led Israel out of Egypt into the desert? Can you picture what a celebration that would have been? Can you picture, can you imagine that kind of gratitude that Israel would have had, now, you know, that kind of deflated fairly quickly afterwards, but in that moment when when God first led them out and they finally realised that they were free and they were carrying all the treasures of Egypt and they'd been delivered and set free, can you imagine what kind of rejoicing and celebration and passionate love for God Almighty there would have been in that camp that night? And God says, this is what I'm going to lead her back into. This is the kind of relationship that we're going to get back to. That, you know, how she felt about me long ago when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. It goes on. It says, When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. O Israel, I will wipe the many names of Baal from your lips and you will never mention them again. On that day I will make a covenant with all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground that so they will not harm you. I will remove all weapons of war from the land, all swords and bows, so you can live unafraid in peace and safety. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine And you will finally know me as the Lord. Now, it's a little bit weird for a guy to put myself in that place of being made somebody's wife, all right? (laughs) I'm sure that you ladies don't have that same issue, but for guys, sometimes that's a little bit of a weird sort of concept. But, you know, if we kind of take gender out of it, what we're talking about is that God wants that kind of relationship that we talked about before, that marriage relationship, that intimacy that, that passion, that uh, exclusivity and that permanence. He wants that kind of relationship with us. And he says, I'm going to make it happen and enter into that kind of relationship with you. That you know me, I know you, no barriers, everything's broken down. Isn't that some great, passionate poetry? You talk about poetry. Yeah. <laughs> there is a great picture of God's love and God's passion. You remember here he's talking about people that have not yet returned to him. People that are still living in idolatry, still living in that adulterous kind of relationship. You imagine a, a husband whose wife is going off and cheating him with cheating on him with six different blokes, you know, and just absolutely abusing everything, turning around and saying something like this. There's some words of passion right there, but but Hosea speaks with this passion because he's living in this kind of relationship. 
This woman that he loves, that is cheating on him, but it doesn't stop him from loving her. And he gets this sense, you know, we see this passion coming through in his voice. So then we come to Hosea chapter 3, which is a great chapter. This is a powerful chapter. It says, And the Lord said to me, talking to Hosea, he says, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. And then I said to her, you must live in my home for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even with me. This shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or prince and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests or even idols. But afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. There's an amazing visual picture here when we talk about Hosea going and buying back his wife. what we understand is that she had become a slave. There were a number of ways that people could become a slave. You could be born a slave, you could be captured in a military conquest or you could become a slave because of debt. And this is the most likely scenario that we have Goma who's gone off and, uh, you know, and without the provision of her husband as she's away from her husband gets into debt and has to be sold into slavery. And can you imagine that moment when Hosea goes as she's being auctioned off to the highest bidder? And one thing that I didn't realize as I was researching this, uh, and maybe you are aware, but, but most of the time when slaves were sold, they were naked. They were stripped off. You know, he wanted to make sure the, the buyer could, you know, make sure he knew what he was getting. And we see this all throughout history uh, and can you imagine what that was like to, to see, uh, not only for her, who's, who's, she's up there on that auctioneer's block, she's naked, she's vulnerable, she's exposed for everybody to see. And Hosea, the one who's been uh, betrayed, the one who's been left and abandoned with his three kids, mind you, who comes and he sees her. And he pays the price for her. And he buys her back. And he clothes her and he covers her shame. And he loves her. And he restores her. What a picture that is of Christ. Who paid for us. When we were shamed. And we were naked. And we had nothing but debt. And Christ paid the high price with his blood for us. And he clothed us, not in our, not in our previous clothes of our, you know, our own good works, but in his robe of righteousness, in his righteousness. And he restored us and he loved us. But it, re- it refers to 
you know, to this, um, you know, we, we see that, that picture of Christ too, as we talk about, you know, you see those words there as, as people return to David's descendant, their king. And they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of His goodness. In Hosea, we see this picture of God's love. And there's no greater expression of God's love than in Him coming to earth and giving His life for us as a ransom to pay the price to rescue us from sin, to rescue us from the, the, the place where we were without Him. <laughs> we see a love that can't be denied, a love that chases and pursues and doesn't give up, that forgives and is patient, Yes, we see judgment, you know, and, and, and you know, Israel was warned, and this was part of Hosea's role, was not only uh, to declare God's judgment that was coming if people didn't change their ways, but to declare this heart of God that says, I don't want this for you. It says, if I have to do this to get you to come back and to be mine again, I'll let you go away and I'll let you do all that kind of stuff that you're trying to do and the, the things that you're trying to reach out to and cling on to for security and love and affection, but that's not what I want for you. It says, come back, come back, be restored to me. Acknowledge that, that I'm the one who gives you all those good things and be restored. We see God's heart through the prophet Hosea calling out to his people again and again and again. And it's essentially the, the, the next uh, nine, eight, nine chapters of, of Hosea is God calling out to his people and saying, if you continue going down the track, you're going down. This is the judgment that awaits. He says, but return to me, come back to me. And there's this promise that when you do, that there's acceptance. You know, like that father that was waiting for that prodigal son to return. And when he saw him coming, he ran out to greet him, ran out to, to, to meet him and embrace him and, you know, smells and all. And in whatever state it was that he was in after, you know, mucking out the, the pigsty. And this is, a, this is the picture of, of God who longs for us to return and come back to him to, to draw near this is the heart of God you know so many people that look at the Old Testament and see a God of, uh, of judgment and a God of anger and a God of a death but we see again and again we see pictures of God's love for us God is the same yesterday today and tomorrow and we see God's love demonstrated in the Old Testament just as much as it is in the New Testament and we see God's heart for us to be restored God's heart for us to be in relationship with him God's heart for us to be set free God's heart is not to withhold but to give generously to his children to win us back to love us through Christ he made a way that we can be whole let's pray father we thank you for your incredible love 
your love that calls out to us, even when we are lost in sin. Father, your word says that even while we were far away, while we were sinners and we turned our back on you, you gave your son, Jesus, to pay the price for our redemption, to purchase us back from slavery, that we could be yours once more. Well, we thank you for this, this picture that we see in the book of Hosea that we've, we've read and, and heard this morning. We thank you for that picture of your un- uh, unending love that continues to chase after us and pursue us, to seek after us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand to a greater degree that unconditional and unreserved crazy love for us. Help us to see a little bit more depth, a little bit more understanding. Help us to have a little bit more revelation of your love for us. We thank you for this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, head to our website at bethelcrc.org.au. Check out Bethel Family Church on Facebook.